Hi, it's Maya and Zach from this person I met. If you know me at all, you know that math is the absolute bane of my existence and that writing is the only thing I'm half decent at. Maya, today is your lucky day. Tigris, we're not going to be talking about math. Our interviewee today is our writing teacher who helped us, you know, exploit that very limited, precious, rare potential. She's a Harvard and Princeton graduate who lived in China for several years and is entirely fluent in Mandarin. She's extraordinarily kind and compassionate, but one of the traits we noticed immediately about her throughout this interview is the fact that she believes family to be the most important, which is something that influences many aspects of her life. Hello, I am Margaret Baker, and I live in Ann Arbor, Michigan with my husband and five children. And in the past couple of years, I've been a writing teacher out of my home, and so I have met many amazing young people through my writing classes. Um, how many years have you been teaching? I started about nine years ago in this private thing. I also taught public in uh, public school and in private schools, but this, this tutoring business has been about eight or nine years. I did have this amazing class at the beginning, the, my very first class, I know I've told you about it, they were all friends, and it was their families that begged me for, they begged me for a year to start a writing class. Mm-hmm. I was starting fresh. I hadn't really been trained, but they were such, so much fun to teach that that's kind of where I got my template for how I teach my students. Yeah. And I got started with my projects, making my little projects, and how I was going to do vocabulary. Um, I just, they sort of helped me cut my eye teeth, they say. They helped me get going. And then, you know, I have some students now, like both of you. I mean, you are just such talented fiction writers that it's it's really fun. I like to read your writing. It's just fun to read. It's well-written. It's creative. It's original. It's just really fun to read. And that is kind of humbling because I don't produce that. You produce that. And then we talk about it together. And some of the conversations that we've had about words, and I've just Mm -hmm. enjoyed so much. Mm -hmm. Um, And just your thinking about things, the way you think about things. It's just, it just keeps it so fresh. That's what I mean. I just feel like, how, how can I be paid for this? This is just such a blessing to me. Um, definitely. That was really good. You mentioned you didn't, like, you weren't trained to teach kids, Mm -hmm. I guess. So what did you study in college? Oh, that's a good question. I studied comparative literature. So I actually studied French and Japanese. I started learning Japanese in college. And my senior thesis, which is a big paper you do after four years in college, was about French haiku. So you guys all know what haiku is, you know, those little poems. And I wrote it, there was a short time when the French wrote haiku. And so I thought, this is the most perfect topic, because it it brings together the French and the Japanese languages together. So I studied that, and then I went and um, got my master's at Harvard, and I was studying more Chinese at that time. Mm -hmm. Then I lived in China, and then I came back and did Chinese literature. So I did teach in high schools, but I I really wasn't trained. I kind of learned from watching other people. Um, And sometimes I feel like that's a real lack of mine. Um, I have another friend that does this, and I just feel like her classes are much more academic, and mine are much more free form. But that's my style. Uh, did you immediately know what you wanted to do with your life? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, well, one thing that I do besides teaching writing is I do help students with college essays. And what I've learned is that most people, most of my students with college essays, they go back to either second grade or fifth grade. 
when they think about what they really love to do. And I would say that's true of me too. Since I was a very small child, I always loved languages. Um, My grandfather spoke four languages. He lived next door. And so I was very aware of languages from a very young age. Mm -hmm. So I always loved languages and I always loved reading. And I really loved um, kind of getting inside books. So I guess part of teaching writing and teaching reading is wanting to share that part of me that I understand so well. yeah, so, and the languages led me into Chinese, which led me to live in China for a while, and that has been a really, really important part of my life. In fact, my husband and I both lived in China, and so we had that in common when we met. Did, so, yeah. Did that impact anything about, like, your current thinking or just anything? Um, one thing for sure is I just have such a heart for people who come from other countries and have to adapt here, because I know how hard that was for me when I lived in China, but I was alone. I didn't have a family, you know, so I really, really respect like your parents, um, how hard it is for them, how hard it is for them to raise children here. They're raising their children in a community, in a culture that is not their own. They were not raised in America. I don't know. I just feel like it gives me a real compassion. And so most of my students are either Chinese or Korean. Um, And so I just feel this very close connection to the parents, really. And I feel like, oh, I want to do something for these families because I can understand how hard it would be to do what they're doing. Um, Kind of going back to the college, um, Mm -hmm. you graduated from Ivy League and hold a PhD. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you could, would you choose another path or would you stick with writing? Oh, that's a good... Teaching kids in general. Yeah, teaching kids in general. Um, There was a short time when I felt like maybe I would want to teach at a college level. Mm -hmm. Um, I finished my PhD just when I was expecting our first child. And so I definitely wanted to stay home. I really consider my first job to be a homemaker for my family. Um, So once that happened, I wasn't going to go into college. So I think the teaching kids, I mean, I've taught my own kids for so many years just at home for fun. It just seems very natural to me, coming out of what I love most, which is being a mom and staying home. Um, so I don't think I ever really considered, after that, finishing my PhD, I didn't consider going back to the university. And also what I do now is so, it's so varied. Um, I have very advanced students. I have some you know, really younger students. Um, everybody has different needs. I can create different projects. I just feel like it's very varied. And I mm-hmm. feel like, um, I, I, I honestly feel like I can't believe people pay me for what I do yeah. because I really love it. Yeah. And I feel like I gain so much from reading your writing, from working with you. It's just, um, I just always feel that way. Like, how could anyone be so lucky? And I work out of my home um, and it's very flexible. So I'm pretty lucky, Zachary. <laughs> um, I've also thought about writing something about being a mom. Um, people often ask me because I did get a PhD, but I stayed home. And that was kind of a, some people find that to be a little bit confusing. So I would love to talk about the value of being a mom and yeah. Um, yeah. that sort of thing. So I might write something like that. Um, did you receive any help along the way? Help from lots of people. I have very supportive parents, just like your parents. Um, music lessons. I play the flute. Played the flute quite seriously all through college. I grew up playing piano. I still, I don't play piano like Maya plays piano. But I do um, do a lot of accompanying which is another part of, um, that I do to connect with young people. So my piano is good enough to accompany to a certain level, and that I thank my parents for, um, for all of that. And then I have a best friend. We met when I was 14, and she has been a huge, huge support to me mm-hmm. throughout my whole life. And that is a treasure for life. 
um, is to have a friend like that. So I feel very, very fortunate that I met her when I was 14. And her main advice is always, you know, don't always try to please everyone else. You can't please everyone in your in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. That's hard for me sometimes. I want to please everybody. Um, so she's always very strong on that. So I would say just to remind me of how important my own family is, and that I can't I can't save the world. Yeah. You know, I want to save the world, but I can't. <laughs> What distinguishes you from other writing teachers, do you think? Oh, my gosh, what a good question. Um, well, I do think I've just been really blessed, as I said, with this, this China background. Um, I do feel extremely comfortable with my clients, my, their parents. It's just, it's like home to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I know these people. I lived in China. I just feel so comfortable. So I think that helps. Um, I have, you know, some understanding of Chinese culture mm-hmm. and I know a lot of my, particularly my older Chinese students will sometimes talk about pressures they feel being Asian American, um, at Huron High School and, those, and I can just, I totally relate to what they're talking about yeah. just because I've, I've lived it for so many years, not lived it, but I've experienced it through my students. Um, so I say, I add that, I hope, um, also I do have an orientation toward people from other countries, like mm-hmm. it just doesn't seem odd to me or anything. It's very very comfortable yeah. and I want to know about other cultures um, I had one student from Korea who had just gotten here and he was so so polite he would not turn his back on me yeah it was yeah, just yeah. I think wow. I was telling you that I was yeah. telling somebody that so he would like go out the door and it was just I thought, wow that's really amazing yeah. so um and then I guess what distinguishes me I do really try to find interesting topics. Uh-huh. I work pretty hard. I, I'm always reading newspapers and magazines and trying to find things that I think, oh, there's a way we could do this. Like, I think you guys are too old to do the elephant one, the cob and the elephant. You guys are too old. But like there was this um, elephant that lived in Pakistan for a while and then it got, you know, rescued and now lives in a happy home, uh-huh. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Like I'll read a story like that and I'll say, oh my gosh, this would make the best diary. You know, so my younger students will write that kind of diary. Mm-hmm. So that kind of thing. I think I try to be really creative. Um, I hope I hope we found some good projects together. But, you know, when I get advanced students, then I'm always trying to look for things that are sort of above. I'm always looking for above their level, yeah. you know, to bring them in. So I hope that distinguishes me. I really love what I do. I try to be really comfortable. I'm not, I don't see myself as being very strict. Um, most of my students are very familiar with, you know, strict different kinds of teachers, math teachers, piano teachers, whatever. And that's just not my style. Mm -hmm. And I think my students relate to that and appreciate that. I don't have any trouble with behavior or anything, except for my little boys. They get excited, but they're not, they're not disrespectful. (laughs) Do do you think it's like super hard to find interesting topics for people? Um, As I said, I'm I'm needing to take a little break right now because I feel like, oh my gosh, I've done them all. But um, I like to think because I have a natural curiosity about things Mm -hmm that that helps. Mm-hmm. Like I can look through a magazine and say, oh, this is really interesting. Or, oh, I think, you know, my student is really into space. So here's an article about Mars that has a different approach. Um, so I don't think it's too hard. I don't think it's too hard. Just because I'm naturally curious. And in fact, my friends like that I speak to, they're always laughing at me because I always will come to like a party with some story like, did you guys hear about the elephants in China, you know, that are, that are traveling north uh-huh. and they've gone 300 miles and they're always laughing because they're, yeah. what do you guys think about the Mars, you know, the rover? And yeah, they're just, yeah. I'm sort of connected to a lot of things on a, on a surface level, but mm-hmm. they're all things that I think my teacher, my students will be interested in. So 
have you experienced any like challenges throughout time like with younger generations and like modern technology and stuff like that definitely with technology um i'm kind of old school and especially with my younger students i like them to write to actually write because i think they learn better and sometimes i get a little pushback they want to type everything um and i've had to learn obviously like all of us about zoom and communicating and that was quite challenging how to teach effectively over Zoom, even though I only had at the most four students at one time, so it wasn't like what your teachers faced with large classes, but still I found it quite challenging. But my students were very adaptable and I appreciated that. Yeah, so have you like learned anything along the way? Uh, what, are, what do you think are some important takeaways of your entire journey? That's a very good question. Um, I think I've learned that um, Working one-on-one -on -one with students in writing is really the only way to really help students improve their writing. Um, I sometimes feel frustrated for my students because I feel they haven't been really taught to write. It's not their fault. Um, it's just that they've had a teacher with 30 students. So one of the things I've learned is that the, the time I spend with my students is very valuable. Mm -hmm. um, just helping them go over even sentences or paragraphs or really editing. Um, so in some ways that's kind of frustrating because I feel like I can only help so many students. Mm -hmm. I wish I could teach 50 students at a time, but I can't. But then the reason I, I hope that I'm an effective teacher is because I do have these smaller um, classes. So that's been one challenge. Another challenge is um, just to encourage my students to read good books. A lot of my younger students only want to read fantasy. Um, and there's a lot of great fantasy books, but I always want to encourage them to read some of the good classics. And some of my students will do that, but not all of them. Mm -hmm. And that is, it's a hard sell. Hard sell to make them do that. Um, oh, uh, do you have a favorite book? I have several. Um, I have To Kill a Mockingbird, which all of you will read in high school if you haven't read already. I really love. I have parts of that book that I can think about and they will just make me start to cry. Um, I also love a book called Emily of Deep Valley. It's a very old fashioned book. Mm -hmm. And like during the pandemic, when, especially the beginning when all of us were very, you know, kind of didn't know what to do, I went back to that book and reread it. It's just about time period of 1900. It's very old fashioned and yeah. I really love that. Yeah. Um, and then there's a lot of children's books that I really love. I love Go Dog Go. I just think Go <laughs> Dog Go is hilarious. And every time I get to the dog party, I just think that is the funniest picture in all of children's literature. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you've taught for like really long time and you have a lot of students. Would you want to continue this path for the future? I, I really do. I, I sort of think about because right now my children are still, you know, my youngest is a freshman in high school. Mm -hmm. So I still kind of am connected to the community through music and through everything. And I just think, are people still going to know about me, you know, in the future? So I kind of yeah. kind of wonder about that. Or like my students, you guys all know each other. Parents know each other. Is that still going to continue? So I sometimes wonder if, is there going to be an end point? And at that point, I would do something different. But for now, I want to get better. I mean, that's part of the reason I'm trying to pull back this summer a little bit as I want, this is, you know, all my files. I want to kind of go through them and think about, especially with my more advanced students, you know, I want to get some more projects going so I can challenge you and um, keep it fresh. Um, so I guess I'm, I am thinking about continuing for a while. I feel like so, knowing a lot of people is just so helpful, just like in general. It is very helpful. And yeah. so I've been blessed because there's five children in there at all levels and yeah, especially yeah. my college essay business, you know, it does not take me long to fill up because 
they have friends and the friends have friends and <laughs> it just helps a lot. So I think I can ride that wave for a couple more years and then I'll have to see what happens. Maybe nobody will know who I am anymore. Everyone knows you. <laughs> <laughs> Any advice for students? Not oh, for students. Um, well, I am a big one for writing drafts and I know that that doesn't work for everybody anymore, but I do feel like the piece that is often missing because typing is so easy is the planning piece. And that's why I try to work with my students on outlines or what are your three points or, um, you know, I almost want to say don't ever write something unless you have some pre-writing with it, uh-huh. some idea. Even if you're writing a letter, which I often do, you know, about some school issue, you know, I spend a lot of time writing emails and it's so easy just to sit down and write it like, you know, it goes so fast. But I find when I've really spent time with the pre-writing, it's so much better. And so I just always want my students to do that first. I try to teach that, that there's that piece before you're doing the final final draft. Fiction may be different. You know, when you're really writing fiction, that may be different because you get in a mode and you're, you know, creating your characters. Um, but even then, I feel like you have to have a flow. I talk a lot about flow when I do my college essays, and I just want to know what the flow is. What's the flow of your essay? Where are you starting? Where are you going? Where do you want to end up? Do you mind telling us a little, um, more about China, like in your time there? Oh, sure. I'd love to talk about China. So I went in 1986, which I'm trying to think your parents were probably very small yeah. at that time. Yeah. Um, so China was very different. And I've actually had some of people from your parents' generation ask me what was China like back then. Yeah. So um, I went to teach English. I went by myself. The plane I went on, this is a true story, every single person on the plane was a Chinese businessman with one exception. There was one other Caucasian woman, and we became friends. We still write to each other, like 30 years later. Um, We just became friends from meeting on the plane. So it was very scary. Um, I think we actually refueled in the North Pole. I'm not, I've I've always wanted to ask her, like, is is that something I made up? Uh But so there I was on a plane by myself, I was 24, and I think we refueled in the North Pole. And then I went to China, and I remember as we got close to China, you guys have all flown there, you suddenly start seeing the lights, yeah. and it was like, oh my gosh, it's a real place. Like, China really exists. I mean, it was just that kind of thing. So I taught there. Um, that was a real trial by fire. My first class was on a fifth floor. Of course, there were no elevators. Uh-huh. Fifth floor, and there were 60 students. 60. So all very, very similar names at that time. Children all had names like Wang Hong, you know, Wang Weiguo. They were all very political kind of names. So a lot of the names were very similar. So I had to try to, you know, assess levels and get people in groups. And um, it was very challenging. But living there was such a great experience. We were on bikes all the time. Mm -hmm. There wasn't any pollution at that time. Um, It was a very simple life. Mm -hmm. We would bike places. Um, My big thing, I love M&M's. And so occasionally I would find M&M's in the stores, and that was like the biggest deal. That's when I found M&M's. So um, I would go to Beijing to get milk. That was the one thing I missed was milk, which is so crazy. We'd actually take the train. I would go to Beijing and find milk so I could just drink a glass of milk. Um, Met so many wonderful people. I lived in Tianjin, which is a really friendly city. In China, it's known as being a friendly city, and I found that to be very true. Um, Fortunately, I spoke pretty good Chinese when I got there, so I was able to improve a lot, and I was able to you know, meet people easily, um, and I really enjoyed my students. And a couple of them I kept in touch with for quite a while afterward. And once in a blue moon, I meet someone here 
who remembers my lectures. Because I would give these big lectures, like about baseball or, you know, American culture. Uh And a lot of people would come. And once in a while, I meet somebody and they say, I remember you gave a lecture in Tianjin University, which is so funny. Because at that time, there were very few foreigners in China. Uh So you were honestly like a celebrity, which was actually very uncomfortable. And it made me realize, like, that would be very difficult to be a celebrity. Because everybody knows you. You know, obviously, you're Caucasian, so people recognize you. I mean, I would be riding my bike, and people would come up next to me and say, oh, so you had five dumplings last night at the dining hall. <laughs> like, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of crazy. And they all knew my name, and, you know, it was just a little funny. Um, but it was a fantastic experience, fantastic two years. Um, oh, you only spent two years there? It was two years, and then I went back for five summers. Okay. I led um, groups of English teachers, actually, for a Christian organization, and we taught in Shanghai for four summers. And then we went. We got to go back to Tianjin, which mm-hmm. was really fun to go back. So two years and then five summers. So Were you fluent in Mandarin before you went? There? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty, pretty comfortable. Um, of course, you know, I'm not a native speaker. And, but once you get to a certain level, as you guys know, then you can pick up things quickly. Yeah. And if you're in a conversation, you start picking up the patterns and, you know, you, you get back in it quickly. So that was fun. I did have friends that did not speak English. Mm-hmm. I remember watching the 1992 Olympics with an old gentleman who spoke no English. And that was really fun. Yeah. Like just kind of sharing the Olympics in another country. That was just a great memory. So good okay. question. Was it super hard to learn Mandarin like without being surrounded by the culture here? Well, that's a good question. I had the great good fortune of being able to study at Middlebury College, which is in Vermont during the summer. They have, I don't know if they still do, but they had an immersion program. Mm-hmm. You actually signed a pledge that said you would not speak English. Wow. You would only speak Chinese. Uh-huh. For, it was nine weeks, uh-huh. um, and the teachers were just incredible. And that really kind of, like, pushed me into feeling much more comfortable um, just, you know, speaking the language. And I always loved languages, and I never felt afraid to, be, you know, make foolish mistakes, yeah, which yeah. is the key. Yeah. You can't be afraid, right? Yeah, yeah so... Do you have any, like, regrets throughout your life? or mm, Lots of regrets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's see. I guess, um, I think in college, I, I didn't really, um, I took advantage of the academics. I went to Princeton University, so yeah. I was very, very fortunate yeah. to go to a very good college. And when I look back on college, I only think about the academics. And I feel like I really missed, I just somehow didn't, didn't have that college experience that everyone talks about. And I think it's because I just didn't know myself very well then. Mm-hmm. I always think, oh, I wish I could go to college now because I'm so much more comfortable with who I am. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to put that on anybody. Many young people today, I think, are way ahead of where I was when I went to college, and they have a much better time. But for me, I do regret that I didn't really get to take advantage of it because I was sort of out of touch with who I was at that time. Mm-hmm. But I did work very hard, and I appreciated the academics and the education that I received at Princeton. Yeah. Do you have anything else to add or like any advice? Let's see. Any advice? Life advice. Life advice. I would say the biggest advice now, this is what I would love to tell my own children too, is social media is really a two-edged sword. Obviously you're connected. And I, by social media, I mean like the whole thing. I don't mean like Facebook or Instagram, just that whole thing. And I feel sorry for your generation sometimes because as you know, you know, you, I know it myself, I look up a sweater and the next thing I know, I'm getting like six emails about sweaters. Yeah. You know how that goes. It's kind of creepy. It is kind of creepy. And 
I just think just to keep your critical minds, try to remember there's almost always two sides to things. Um, try, and my, my husband teaches me this too. Try to argue the other side. Like if you really feel passionately about something like, I don't know, animal rights, for example. Well, try to think about the other side. But we were working about elephants, you know, and obviously we don't want to kill elephants for their tusks. Yeah. But there was the president of Botswana was saying elephants can be very, very dangerous oh, yeah. to people. Yeah. Yeah. And so he was saying sometimes it's worth it to kill one elephant in order to save, you know. So I would say keep an open mind. Remember that there's two sides to things. Um, try to read widely. Um, spend time just with your own brain. You know, it's so easy to just plug in all the time. I mean, I still remember how old I am. I remember being in a car and being late to go somewhere and thinking, oh, I just wish we had a phone in the car and we could call them and tell them that we're going to be late. Uh-huh. I mean, like that, wow. you know, but the, I, I just feel like I had a lot of space when I was growing up. I just had a lot of space in my head. I spent time outside just thinking, um, reading, writing. I spent tons of time writing, journaling. Take that time. Take that time. Don't always be plugged in. Yeah. Um, just, I think that's so important. And, you know, teach that to your friends and your everybody. Very important. Mm-hmm. You know, your own minds are so valuable. So, so um, and that, I guess that's another just final maybe piece of advice is that there are so many opportunities in this country. And a lot of my students think the only opportunity is Stanford or Harvard, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. And that is hard. And I have to say, just empirically from this area, it's difficult to get into those schools. Mm-hmm. And I've had students that I thought would absolutely get into those schools and did not. And I don't know why, because it, there's just a lottery in the end. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel sad when I see students really devastated, because I want to say, you are going to be successful wherever you go. Any college that gets any of my students is going to be so, so lucky. Mm-hmm. And that it really doesn't matter where you go. It really more matters what you do when you get there and that you find professors to connect with. So I, every time I have a college student, essay student, that's my first lecture. Yeah. You know, if they're really aiming. And they may get into those kind of schools, which would be great. Yeah. But very few of them do, especially from this area. And that is not the end of your life. And then I guess I want to just tell everyone, life is really long. Like, you know, there's lots of room. There's lots of room to explore things. So. Do you think, like, life is complicated? Life is very complicated. <laughs> It's very complicated. And I think your families are your best allies, even though they drive you crazy. And I know because I'm a mom who drives my children crazy. But if your parents are driving you crazy, then they're doing a good job because they really, really do love you and know you well and care about you. And it's good to stay close to them. Um, you know, that, that they will be your best allies when life gets complicated, which it certainly does. I'm a Christian, so I have a bigger picture of yeah, um, yeah. being like a, a, a whole person with a soul yeah. who really has a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I do believe everyone has special purpose. There might not be one purpose, but we're not all going to be president. We're not all going to be the greatest pianist. We're not all going to be, but we're all going to make a huge impact wherever we go. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, drives me. That's why I can think about these, you know, 50, 60, 70 students that I've taught. Wow, I hope I've made a difference in their life. You know, that they go off being excited about life and learning. Yeah. So. Yeah.